Hi, this is David Thames, and I listen to On Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. Hey, look, we've we've exposed all these different fraudulent claims. Why not apply the same criticism to Jesus? Was he a magician? Was he a myth, or was he the Messiah? If I was a, uh, an expert magician living in the first century instead of the 21st century, could I have accomplished the same things that Jesus did? Thank you to David Teams for the introduction. David has written a fantastic new devotional called Godspeed. David and I had a good long conversation about the Reformation and the founders of the modern church. That'll be out in a couple weeks, and I'm telling you this, you do not want to miss it. Well, hello. Welcome to the 90th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. On today's show, we have master illusionists Rod Robinson and Adrian Van Vactor to discuss magic, illusions, and how they use both to speak about their faith. But first up, I want to introduce you to a talented new artist in her new Christmas album, Rita Watkins, That Christmas Feeling. I really like Rita's jazz big band sound, especially her unique rendition of Mary Did You Know, and we're going to hear a sample of her heart-touching Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and we're going to talk about the equally heart-touching story behind her recording it. A couple weeks back, a friend of mine sent me a copy of Mary Did You Know, and uh, it was prefaced with, You'll, you've never heard it like this before. And so I listened to Mary Did You Know off of That Christmas Feeling with Rita Watkins, and they were right. I had never heard Mary Did You Know quite like this. It's a fun version of Mary Did You Know, and very, very good. Rita Watkins, welcome to On Faith's Edge. Well, thank you, Joe. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks so much for having me today. Merry Christmas. So let's talk about that Christmas feeling, and let's start off with Mary Did You Know. I've never heard Mary Did You Know quite like this. In fact, I just had Mark Lowry on the on the show uh, oh, last no week. Kidding. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Mark Lowry, I'm Lowry of course. Not sure. Yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll send it to him. How about that? <laughs> he, he, there you go. There you go. We were we were hoping that he, you know, he's a comedian. We he, thought uh, he he's got to get a chuckle out of that. Yeah, it's a good song. He might get a chuckle out of it, but he's likely to say, "Wow, this yeah. is really good." <laughs> well, that would be great. That would be super. Tell us how, how did how did this version of Mary Did You Know come about? Well, I have to tell you, the brainchild behind this version of Mary, Did You Know, uh, really came from Scott Williamson. We've been friends for 17 years and have worked together on uh, previous projects. And he had this idea. He was sitting on this, I think, for quite a number of years, maybe 10 years. And it was always this, wow, I, I have this arrangement in my head but I don't quite know if I can get away with it because this song, the lyric lyrically is so beautiful. It's such a favorite, both cross market, secular market, Christian market, and so many people have recorded it. And it really has this reverential all kind of to it. And everyone has produced it that way, arranged it that way, performed it that way. So 
when he mentioned that to me when we were coming together and just chatting about selections for the record, and he just kind of threw that out me, I was like, yes, because we both kind of like thinking outside of the box. And uh, this is how it all came about. We said, let's go for it. And there may be some naysayers out there, but we really thought that people would fall in love. And I never imagined that it could have turned out so incredibly well. I just, I couldn't have imagined. And what he did and what Jason did with the arrangement just blew our minds. This particular song off of That Christmas Feeling is getting some uh, really good airplay, isn't it? It is. This is the first single that we've chosen to release, and it is getting some great feedback, which is thrilling. Did it concern you a little bit to do a jazz version of Mary, did you know more upbeat tempo? Uh, did you were you concerned with how it would be received, or did you know this is perfect for this for this project? We knew that it was perfect for the project, hands down. We knew there might be a few people that were kind of mm, questioning um, hearing this style, but again, because of our approach and where we were really trying to uh, get the project out there to the world, we knew that it would be well received for the most part. Um, and so we didn't worry. We didn't worry about maybe the chosen few that weren't real interested in hearing. We've heard a little tiny bit of that as well, but, but almost no one has had any negative feedback at all. Everyone's been thrilled to hear something so unique and original. Tell us about the project as a whole, that Christmas feeling, a lot of songs people know. What can new, new Rita Watkins fans expect from that Christmas feeling? I would say what fans could expect is just this feel of the quintessential classic Christmas feel. I grew up in the Northeast, these white Christmases, the old fashioned um, feel of the snow and the old movies and Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole. Um, That's how I grew up. And that is very special to me. And these are the types of songs that I grew up listening to. In my home, my father was born in the the throes of the big band era and a beautiful tenor. And so he really brought this love into our home growing up of this genre of music. So I wanted to translate that familiarity of the classic Christmas carols, but with a new twist, heavy big band jazz, lots of orchestration. And it was a a go big or go home. this is what I want to listen to on my playlist at Christmas. And I really think at the end of the day, most people do. This is what they associate classic Christmas with. Alongside of that, because I'm essentially a new artist in the international market, we wanted to throw in a couple of originals just to separate the project um, and, and give it a little, that, that much more, uniqueness. And so I hope that I was able to infuse my love for jazz big band vocally, stylistically, as well as each song just having a little bit of a different feel and really being able to um, interpret the music and add in the, the, the classic carols along with some real heartfelt sort of tear jerkle, tear jerking, um, evoking emotion, uh, that we were able to, to pull from Christmas in heaven, which was very personal to me that as well as the Holy manual, which is just beautiful and 
glorifying the Lord and really just paying attention to what the season is really about. So bringing all that full circle, it was just uh, trying to make it as unique as possible, but yet something that people could very much connect with, but something that would catch them a little bit by surprise. Talking about catching us by surprise and talking about (laughs) emotional songs. Let's talk about have yourself a merry little Christmas. Well, I'm going to speak for myself and I know speak for Scott as well. This project was both inspired by and dedicated to my late father who passed away. This is 10 years. This record is being released on the 10 year of his passing. And that, that song really brought back to me as I sang it and delivered it and digested it. Um, this beautiful feel of all the warmth, uh, family tradition, and sort of these memories that is what you're left with as an adult. And to be able to communicate that as I was singing the song, paired with the extraordinary arrangements, which are so indicative to Dave Williamson, who was Scott's dad, he arranged this. And this was the last song that he worked on prior to his passing. And he ended up passing away um, during this project before its completion as well. So this really became a very heartfelt dedication to both of our fathers. And when I listen to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, it's just, I am so, I am so proud. Honestly, I'm so proud of the arrangement and the delivery and the feel that I get when I listen to it. And I was just so overjoyed to to share my heart as I sang this song. I feel like I'm listening. I'm, I'm sitting in your heart, Rita, <laughs> listening you to can, this song. I cannot even begin to tell you how much, like, seriously, that gave me chills. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sappy. I am sappy. I can't help it. I love Christmas. Yeah. That, that is probably the greatest compliment that I could get from anyone. Yeah. Joe, thank you. Thank you for that. That's that is song. what I hoped. That is what I hoped to deliver. It's a good so song. Thank you. It's a good song. I loved singing it. It's, it might be my favorite on the album, honestly, just because of what, what that means. I felt like everything that was in my heart in this project uh, came out in that song. Let's play a little bit of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Christmas future is far away. Christmas past is past Christmas present is here today Bringing joy that will yourself a merry little Christmas let your heart be light from now on her troubles will be out 
Beautiful, beautiful, Rita. Well done. Well done. Well done. Rita, tell us about your relationship with your dad. I know that Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was an important song to your dad, and this song is important to you because of that. Tell us, tell us about your relationship with your dad and what his, what, how that brought you to where you are today. Wow. Well, I was my dad's only daughter. And my parents had five sons before I was born. All of us were very, very close. But there is, of course, something very special about being your father's only daughter. He was just full of love, so compassionate. And we called him Papa Pun. He was absolutely hilarious. He could come up with a joke on a whim. But he was also just really one of those people that when you met him, anyone that met him just even one time was immediately touched by the love and just the overwhelming acceptance that flowed through him. When I think of him, I think of my dad as Jesus with skin on. Mm. He had a beautiful little pet name for me when I was a little girl and he would call me his icing on the cake. Now, when I was little, you know, you get kind of, I would chuckle. I'm like, daddy, (laughs) it would embarrass me a bit then, but how special it is to me now. He loved so well. And the memories and the tradition and the warmth. And when I think of Christmas, when I think of have yourself a merry little Christmas, it encompasses this fullness of, first of all, God, God's divinity invading our humanity. And along with that, God created us to be relationship people. That's why he created us. That's why he came. So when you take all the beautiful spiritual aspect of everything that the foundation of our faith is based on, which is the story of Christmas. And you wrap all the beautiful relationships and warmth that God intended into the season. You are filled with such a fullness of family, warmth, tradition, relationship. And when you take that as a child, even though I don't have tons of video or pictures like everyone does now, what are you left with when you're older? and you're raising your own family, what you're left with is what is in your heart. And when I think about have yourself a merry little Christmas, all of those things just flow out because it's revelatory. (laughs) Um, And so being able to take all of that, wrap that into this song and deliver it using the gift that God has given you, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift to honoring my dad. It's a gift to God. It's a gift to my family. And it's now, hopefully, a gift to the world. What would Papa Pun say to his icing on the cake about this project? He, 
sorry. He would give me one of his huge bear hugs. And he would kiss me on the forehead. (laughs) And he would just say, honey, I love you. I'm so proud of you. So uh, what's next in line for Rita Watkins after, uh, after we get through the Christmas, uh, this Christmas season and, and uh, that Christmas feeling? We have some non-holiday related music that we are kind of compiling, either for a few singles or an EP, something to be released prior to next Christmas season when we will focus on that Christmas feeling again. So things are in the works. This is definitely not a one-and-done project. I very much look forward to continuing to work with my crew and uh, Scott and Jason. Their wheelhouse and love is also jazz and big band. So it's been such a beautifully uh, seamless fit for us to work together. And Scott is amazing. He just knows how to bring out the best in a vocalist and uh, his skill in drumming and producing is amazing. And Jason is just a musical genius, second to none, absolutely spectacular. So I couldn't be working with better people all around. I'm so grateful to God for relationships. Well, they've done a good job on this project and you've done a fantastic (laughs) job on this project. You're going to hear the standards, uh, the traditional standards. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Sleigh ride. Uh, uh, of course, Mary, did you know, have yourself a merry little Christmas, wonderful Christmas time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and my personal favorite Christmas song of all time is, uh, the Christmas song. Um, but wow, good job on this project, Rita. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you, I'm sure it's going to be a classic here in the Taylor household. And I will put a link to uh, how our how our listeners can get in touch with you over at onfaithsedge.com. And of course, this will be available at uh, all the places that you can buy uh, music. Uh, I'll put the Amazon link uh, over at onfaithsedge.com. So thank you for coming on the show, Rita. Thank you again, Joe, for having me. It was It was an honor to be with you today. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to share my heart. Merry Christmas to you. God bless. God bless you, Joe. Rita's website is RitaWatkins.com. And by the way, that's Rita, R-E-T-A, Watkins, W-A-T-K-I-N-S, RitaWatkins.com. And that Christmas feeling is available on Amazon.com. I really love bringing you engaging conversations about faith. If this show entertains you, encourages you, informs you, or brings value to you in any way whatsoever, would you please consider financially backing the show? The best way you can do that right now is to use any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com. We'll get a modest commission from the purchase, and it doesn't cost you a penny more. Coming up are master illusionists Rod Robinson and award-winning magician Adrian Van Vactor. They just released Unmasking the Masquerade. The book brings a critical perspective to the exploding field of magic and illusion and to the millions of people around the world being deceived and frightened by seemingly supernatural activity. We'll talk about the fraudulent claims of some miracle workers, 
how Christians should challenge their own assumptions of what is supernatural, the negative feedback they receive from some Christians for being illusionists, We'll ask why is there an increased interest in the supernatural and how they use magic and delusion to preach the gospel in some of the most superstitious cultures. We'll even ask, was Jesus nothing more than a masterful illusionist of his time and are his miracles duplicatable? I have a fondness in my heart for what you guys do as illusionists really i've always just been fascinated i just don't have the manual dexterity and the the ability to misdirect i tried it as a kid and i just couldn't make it so i yeah. relegated myself to watching some of the uh some of the experts on that's probably best that way yeah no doubt, no doubt. i'm not going to be your competition let's <laughs> okay, just put good. it that way you have written a book unmasking the masquerade well the message of the book in fact the um Subtitle is Three Illusionists Investigate Deception, Fear, and the Supernatural. That's literally the three sections of the book. First section is about the first half of the book. I wrote that, and it's about deception. In fact, the history of deception, specifically people who have used anything from magic tricks to psychological manipulation to deceive people, and stories about people who have been deceived. So it's a very narrative first half of the book. Second half is about fear. And that's really more of a, a study of the scriptures and what it says about fear as it relates to deception. Because it, deception and fear can be a, a, a vicious cycle. Typically, when you, are, when you are fearful about something in your life, you, you open yourself wide open to deception. The more deception you go into, quite often the more fearful you can become, and it becomes a, a cycle. So we talk about deception. We talk about, in the second section, we talk about the limits and extent of Satan's powers. Do we need to be afraid of Satan? And as a resounding no, we do not. It's a very liberating book that really contrasts deceit with the truth. Uh, the last section, Supernatural, uh, Adrian wrote... And we felt like we really needed something to finish the book saying, okay, we've talked about the, the fakery. We've talked about the deceit. Now let's talk about the real thing. And can we trust the scriptures? Can we trust who Jesus Christ said he was? And Adrian, I'll let you address that one because he did a masterful job of wrapping up the book. You know, in our field experience as illusionists, we see a lot of fraudulent claims, people even claiming to be God. I remember running across this individual in India who claimed to be all the gods of all the re religions, including the reincarnate Jesus Christ. And it makes you wonder, well, wait a minute, if he's a fraud, because, you know, we could watch what he would do and we would quickly see that he's using sleight of hand trickery to make the objects appear that he does. He would make things appear and people thought he was God and they would worship him. And and uh, Rod and I were sitting at lunch, and I thought, you know, so as Christians, we ought to be at least honest skeptics. I mean, we are, and we've taken the time to uh, investigate our own faith, but we ought to put that into the book. We ought to say, hey, look, we've, we've exposed all these different fraudulent claims. Why not apply the same criticism to Jesus? Was he a magician? Was he a myth, or was he the Messiah? And that's what we do in that last section is to try to tackle that from the point of view of a magician. If I was a, uh, an expert magician living in the first century instead of the 21st century, could I have accomplished the same things that Jesus did? Could I have done what he did with my knowledge today? You know, my mentor was uh, one of the number one consultants for David Copperfield and, and his 
considered one of the greater illusion inventors of our time. And I got to pick this guy's brain for years. I won the internationals when I was 19 in Las Vegas in an international stage competition. So I know a thing or two about how deception works from, from the point of view of an illusionist, a magician. I've been performing the art of magic since I was nine years old. And I thought, well, surely I could have really fooled people if I right now transported myself to the first century. And uh, quite honestly, <laughs> when I went on this quest in my early 20s answer, asking these same questions, I came to the astounding conclusion that Jesus was not a David Blaine or a Chris Angel. He wasn't a myth that we have good reasons for trusting the eyewitness accounts uh, as recorded in the Gospels in the New Testament. And with all that evidence, I came to the conclusion Jesus has to be the Messiah just as he claimed to be. There's a difference between a stage magician that obviously is, is uh, performing magic and, and those individuals who present themselves as having some kind of supernatural powers. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was talking with uh, some friends of mine a, a few years back and who felt that David Blaine and Chris Angel both were possessed. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're magicians. I'm glad to hear you say that, Joe, because I was just about to challenge you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're but you're absolutely they're right. Hucksters. They're They're people who are just they're entertainers. They're, they're entertainers. Well, they're, they're playing a part. But they're yeah. playing a part, but I think it's dangerous because they don't they don't present themselves as somebody playing a part. Right. Uh, they present themselves, and maybe I'm wrong here. So. Well, they don't. They in really case, don't. In case they don't. In yeah, case, they don't really Chris, c- David, if you're out in the audience, I apologize. Yeah. But <laughs> you, you present yourselves as they, they present themselves as as um, having supernatural powers. At least that, that's the way I see it. And maybe it is the showmanship, and maybe it is. It, it's that, because but, they're very good at playing the part yeah. that people make that assumption. But you won't hear them stand up there and say, "I have supernatural powers." That's they a suggest good point. that. And Chris Angel said the opposite in some of yeah, his programs. True. He's yes, challenged he people like yes. Yuri Geller and that other yeah. program where he says, "Look, this is all." fake we know this is fake and so it comes with the culture culturally most hear that i'm glad to hear that actually most straightforward thinking people know that it's an illusion that it's not real uh it's the people who are already superstitious they're gonna go oh it has to be real it's because they're already superstitious they already have all kinds of strange beliefs if you watch a superhero movie of or or even the jesus film no one you're not going to be worried that someone in a third world country thinks that this is actual footage of the actual Jesus, that would be very deceptive. And you don't see Jesus film people standing up going, by the way, this is just a movie. These are actors. No one gives that kind of disclaimer. And neither should someone like Chris Angel or David Blaine. You know, we ought to be smart enough to know that these guys are entertainers. They're putting on an act. There's an explanation for everything they do. Uh, it's it's really the, the, the people who who would somehow come to the conclusion that, oh, it's demonic. It's something in their worldview that's the problem, not in the yeah, entertainer's exactly. presentation. I actually do a chapter in my section of the book, and the title of the chapter is, But I Saw Him Levitate. That literally was a quote from a friend of mine after David Blaine did his first special, and he, quote, unquote, levitated. She said to me, because I said, hey, you know, it's, it's trickery. She goes, no, but I saw him levitate. And I remembered that. I went, I'm writing a chapter about that. So I actually wrote a chapter starting out talking about David Blaine and how many people, unfortunately, a lot of Christians, assumed that what they were seeing on there was not an illusion, but it was the real thing. 
And a lot of it had to do with editing, and I won't, I'm not going to go into the mm-hmm. secret behind it, but it was very, very convincing. Um, it convinced a lot of people, and so did Chris Angel, too. I got a call from a friend of mine after Chris Angel did one of his specials. You can still see it on YouTube where he splits a woman in half right in the middle of a park. This guy was freaked out, and he was a, he was a brother in Christ, and I said, you're making assumptions. Don't Challenge your own assumptions. You're making assumptions that everything was as you saw it, when in fact that's not exactly what was happening. You, you, you bring up a good you bring up a good point, Adrian. That in fact, if I remember right, the Jewish historian Josephus, in some of his writings, referenced Jesus as a historical figure, and, sure. and I think yes. the translation calls him a magician of sorts. Don't hold me to fact on that, but I think there is a translation that that's, that 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 Josephus refers I think, I think to what, Jesus as a magician. I think what Josephus says, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, th- I believe what he said. Some people said he was a magician. Right. I believe that's what it says. So, what did you find out, Adrian? What when you when you looked back and you said, "Well, as a magician, could I have duplicated some of this?" Well, first. I found that there were magicians in history all throughout time, since the beginning of time. Yeah, there's been people who have used deception to dupe people into believing. By magician, you mean illusionists? Using sure, yes, not- we use the word synonymously. A magician, illusionist, someone who uses deceit and trickery to create an effect. Now, today's magicians do not use deceit when it comes to the content of their message. I mean, what I mean by that is, is that you don't have Chris Angel starting a religion or David Blaine trying to say, based on what I have done here today, you know, freezing myself, withstanding electricity, whatever it might have been that he would have done, uh, you don't see them trying to communicate some sort of doctrine about life and spirituality based on the effect. Whereas uh, people who have used that kind of deception to convince people of a different worldview, they're defrauding, and that's why God condemns it in, in Scripture, is because these people are mis- they're turning their eyes away from God. And uh, so, like the Pharaoh's magicians uh, and so on, uh, throughout history, people have used trickery and sleight of hand and deception, psychological deception and, and visual deception to convince people that they were something more than they really were and to sort of detract from uh, you know the 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 message of who God is and His uh, creation of mankind and and His sovereignty, but in the first century, the kinds of things that Jesus did, we are only beginning to start duplicating some of those illusions. Like for example, walking on water. Uh, my my uh, inspiration and one of my mentors, Andre Cole, he was uh, an illusionist with Campus Crusade for over fifty years and considered one of the brightest minds of the 20th century when it came to creating stage illusions. He was a consultant to David Copperfield and many of the world's greatest illusionists would use some of his inventions. He's the first man in history to ever create the illusion of walking on water since Jesus actually did it in the first century. No magician in history has ever successfully created that illusion. He did it in a lake in Arizona and the Discovery Channel filmed it and put it in one of their television specials on the miracles of Jesus. Another Christian illusionist uh, moderated and hosted the, the program. And it was to create a contrast saying, look, it's taken 2,000 years for our technology to reach a point where we have come up with a clever way to visually create the illusion of walking on water. Now, it cost 
tens of thousands of dollars, modern technology, transport yourself to the first century where you didn't have that kind of technology, could it have been done? And the answer from people like Andre, from even David Copperfield himself, and, and of course my conclusion was is that there's no way Jesus could have done uh, when you consider the narratives, the, the testimonies of the eyewitness accounts of the Gospels, the circumstances of Peter being on the water with him and then falling, the time of day, what lake, I mean, we, I've been to that sea and you can, I swam in it and I thought, hmm, how could I have done it if I lived in the first century and I couldn't figure out a way with all our modern uh, understanding of how illusions are done without that technology in the first century it could not have been done. And that goes true with many of the miracles that Jesus performed, which I go into great detail in the book, one by one, of how could he have done it as an illusionist versus it was a straight-up miracle. So you are both believers in Jesus Christ? Sure. Yes. Obviously, you have been well-received by much of the Christian community for the work that you're doing, but you must have some kind of negative feedback from from parts of the Christian community for being illusionists. Yeah, there's actually, I think there's there's some guy online the, the blog or an article. There's a whole web page where, uh, where he devoted to me. Adrian and, and you know, a, a, a Christian guy. That's fantastic. And he's telling, he's telling everybody, hey. to me that I didn't make myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's just blasting away at Adrian for having, you know, yeah, I've made dabbling a pack. in the powers of darkness. <laughs> yeah, they, they've accused uh, people like myself of having made a, a deal with the devil that helps us accomplish our illusions. But we hide that deal. So that we, we don't want people to know, and so we pretend that we're doing just tricks. We pretend that it's all a natural explanation, but in reality, there's something else going on. And even though we supposedly present the gospel, even though they've never listened to our gospel presentations, uh, we're not really communicating the gospel, because how could we? We're doing magic. We, had a, <laughs> uh, we both do an illusion of a floating table. Adrian's going to perform it uh, this evening, in fact. And... Um, when I, I've done it before, I've only had a couple of times in churches where people, just, somebody just freaked out. And I'm sure there were others, they just didn't tell me that they were freaking out. But it is, it's an, it's an amazing illusion. I had a lady come up to me uh, just before I went on at the church, and she said, I was here the last time you were at the church, and, and you made a table float. Are you going to do that tonight? I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. She goes, I just don't think that belongs in the church. That's, you had to have been in league with the devil on that. I said... I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, I could tell you in 30 seconds how that is done. And you would slap yourself on the forehead and you'd say, oh, my goodness, is that all there is to it? Is that it? It's a relatively simple illusion mechanically, but it, there's a lot of acting that goes into it. And there's a lot of misdirection and, and, and other things to enhance it to make it look like a table is floating. It is. But there's a secret behind it. And it ain't Satan. <laughs> What's sad about that, too, is that it's very presumptuous to think that the enemy has these kinds of abilities. It's not the central focus of our book. I mean, we do touch on it, uh, of the limits of Satan. I mean, that's not what the book is about primarily. But, uh, you know, <laughs> when where have we gotten these ideas? And I think it comes from Hollywood, the idea that Satan could empower someone to move things with their mind. And uh, it's just very—it's not something that you see uh, really taught in Scripture— there's no really any examples of Satan uh, performing miracles or doing things that uh, would defy the laws of physics. Uh, these are typically deceptions if you look carefully at each of these t 
texts in scripture where people get these notions, and then Hollywood fills in the blanks. You know, they make it sound like Satan is just a sort of a god with a little g that has a lot of power, but not quite the same as God, but almost. I mean, he can uh, make people sick, he can control the weather, he can move things, he can predict the future, he can make and create life, and it's it's pretty much not biblical theology. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, a section in the book where I talk about an investigation that I did at a, um, a spiritualist medium or psychic medium community that's in Indiana. It's called Chesterfield. There's another one in, in New York called Lilydale. I did investigations at each one of those. And at Chesterfield, I saw a, and I put this in quotes, air quotes, pastor of a church there. It was a spiritualist church. And he did a trick that I had seen a magician perform on stage for entertainment purposes the night before. Same trick, same technique, but in this case, he was claiming to have supernatural powers. He was claiming to contact the deceased loved ones of the people in, in, that, in that, uh, that congregation. So I kind of played along, and I, I wrote down on a piece of paper, I'd like to contact my, my childhood friend, Candy. I folded it up, put it in a basket. They took the basket up there, and the, the preacher was, was blindfolded. I mean, so there's, you'd look at it and go, there's no way he can see through that. He's got dollar, uh, silver dollars over his, his face. It's all taped up. He's got a blindfold. There's no way he's going to be able to see it. And yet he was able to divine what was in those folded pieces of paper, including mine. So he said, there's somebody here who's trying to contact a childhood friend named Candy. And I said, yeah, that's me. And, and he went on to, to spit back to me what I had already written down on that piece of paper as if he was getting that information from Candy. What I didn't reveal was Candy was my dog when I was a kid. And by the way, Candy was nowhere near that articulate when she was here on Earth. <laughs> but... The point was he was bringing other people to tears using a magic trick, using deception that if, if I hadn't been a trained magician, I would, have, I would have freaked out. I would have gone, that's supernatural. That's paranormal. There's something. He's in league with the devil. Well, he was in league with the devil because he was lying. He was just deceiving people. But the trick itself was a pure, simple magic trick that I could explain in 30 seconds. Another way to word is, uh, you know, when we see people who claim outrageous claims and are part of false beliefs and religions, is that, yes, it's satanic in the message, but not in the actual effect. That's wow, man-made that's deception. Point. Yeah. That's a very good yep. point. It's, it's satanic in the message, sure, but not in the method. In yeah. the effect, right? in the, effect, in the actual yeah. phenomena being observed, yeah. And that's where that's Satan's power. What does the Bible say? John chapter uh, 8, Jesus said about Satan, he's a liar, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. That's his power. He, he is a liar, he's a deceiver, he's an accuser of the brethren. Uh, but nowhere, and I, people find this hard to believe, but the, there is, we talk about it in the book, nowhere in Scripture are you going to find that Satan is doing true miracles that God, the sovereign God himself, can only do. Uh, how do you feel about the increased interest and the increased, I guess, glorification of, of illusion and of magic? And it's, well, got to be good for business for one thing, but <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you genuinely think that as a, as a Christian culture, we have a problem here 
with the with so much attention and so much glorification given to illusionism? Um, I th- I think one reason that there's an increased interest in psychic phenomenon and mediumship, and frankly in in magic, especially magic that kind of is a little on the freaky side, like Chris Angel, like David Blaine. I think the reason is because we live in a postmodern world, post-Christian world, and Blaise Pascal, the great mathematician and philosopher, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but there's a God-shaped vacuum in people's lives, and, and, and that vacuum is going to be filled by something. If it's not God, it's going to be something else. And I think people have, people want something that's transcendent. And so if they've rejected God, then they're going to look for something else that's transcendent. And I think that's where some of the you know, so-called paranormal and that type of thing fills that need in people's lives. And it opens them wide open to deception. Uh, a, uh, another magician named Dan Corum, who's a, who's a master magician, he's an author, I asked him one time, who is the most difficult type of person to deceive, and he he said something very profound that I quoted in the book, and he said, the most difficult person to to deceive is the person who loves the truth more than they fear their pain, because when we ha- when we're in fear and we're in pain, let's say your your loved one has passed away and you're and you're tremendously fearful. Where are they? How are they doing? And you're, and you're grieving. You're going to be open, unless you're founded in the truth, you're going to be open to deception. So his point was, if you're anchored in the truth, you're going to be less vulnerable to deception if you're anchored in the truth. And that's the point that we try to make in the book, is anchor your worldview in the truth of Scripture, not in what you hear from the culture around you, what you hear from the media um, and a lot of the stuff that's on TV that is supposedly, you know, paranormal in nature and otherworldly, and frankly, so much of it is just plain trickery. Being illusionist, how do you use magic and illusion uh, as an evangelistic tool? Understanding that there is such an interest in this, in the paranormal yeah. and illusion. Um, people want to believe in something. They have sure, this void. So how do you use that interest as an evangelistic tool? It's, it's the ideal tool. I have just completed my, I think, 54th international mission tour. And it's because it begs the question. First, it's entertaining. It's a universal art form. Everyone, regardless of language or culture, will go, whoa, that's cool. Now, in some cultures, we have to be very, very clear and careful to give the disclaimer that, hey, this is just a trick. Not many cultures, but some where I have to even explain a couple of the effects just to kind of give an illustration. This is how magicians do what they do. And the light bulbs go off and people automatically go, whoa, I've been living in fear my whole life because of the witch doctors down the street and my ancestral spirits and all the curses that I'm afraid of. I've had high school and college students come up to me literally in tears. I've been afraid my whole life and now I don't have to be afraid anymore. It's amazing how much fear people live in when they live in these superstitious uh, cultures where these charlatans, these deceivers are using the cultural uh, perception of who they are to wield power over other people. And so when I tell my students whenever I'm on tour, I say, now, if someone 
is lying to you and you believe the lie, do they have power over you? And they, the students would obviously say yes. And I said, but if you know the truth and you're no longer deceived, does that person have power over you? And they say, no. Now, if someone has no power over you, is there any reason to fear them? And I, you know, I get them all to say, no, there's no reason to fear. And then why are you afraid? If it's all a lie, if it's all fake, if it's all deception, stop being afraid. And then, of course, in that moment, I say, now, why do people believe in the supernatural? What is it in us that causes us to seek the supernatural? And I go on to share my testimony of how I came to that same place in life where I wanted to know that there was more than what we see here, taste, touch, and smell, that there was more to life than the physical, our physical existence, that there was something that brought genuine meaning and purpose in life. And of course, only eternity and uh, God can bring those kinds of things, that genuine meaning and purpose. If, if, like Nietzsche said, if man's end is nothing, he is nothing. And so people want to know that there is an afterlife, and so they'll seek after whatever is available to them. And so it's the perfect platform to first draw a crowd, have some fun, build a relationship with the audience. That's another thing that, and I've shared the gospel in places that no one would ever dare try to. But because I entertained them, I got some laughter, I built a relationship, I talked about my life, I got permission from the audience to be able to share the gospel very, very openly and it's, uh, it's, it's, quite, it's quite profound. I never imagined it would be such a great tool. And as one of my uh, hosts in South Asia once said, he said, well, it's a different net to catch a different kind of fish. <laughs> <laughs> so the book is Unmasking the Masquerade, Three Illusionists Investigate Deception, Fear, and the Supernatural. What an interesting way to bring the gospel to, to the culture, man. Yeah, it's, it's an a very way. different approach. Um, we like to think of it as a very liberating book because it, it essentially says, watch out for deception. You can be discerning. You don't have to fear. Second Timothy 1.7, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. So you don't have to fear. Why not? Well, because you can put your trust in the sovereign God, the one who... Who, who is the real thing, who loves you. And it's a very liberating message throughout the entire book. And it's not an overtly religious book. It's a great yeah. pre-evangelistic tool. It's, it's really, by, in many ways, a very secular, uh, especially the first half. You know, it's just telling stories about deception and how charlatans throughout time and in modern times have used deceptive practices to mislead people. And, of course, the third section, when it talks about the historical Jesus, it's all about the historicity of the New Testament and whether Jesus could have been a magician. So it's not preachy. It's a, it's a really good pre-evangelistic tool. Many of our listeners, about actually about 35% of our audience, are non-believers. Either one of you can answer this or both of you can answer that. What would you say to that person that is right on faith's edge, making that choice to believe or not to believe in God? Well, when I came to faith, I really wrestled with the idea that is there more to life? If, if life ends in the grave, then life genuinely is meaningless. It's, it, there's no, I mean, you can, you can try to find pleasures in life. You can find successes in life. You can try to inject superficial meaning into life. But in the end, when entropy finalizes and we have heat death in the universe, all life as we can even imagine will be over. 
and nothing of any value or significance will last. However, if you look at the evidence, the evidence in the universe, the evidence that we see in the stars and in nature, that there is a designer, a creator. And not only that, but that he's left his fingerprints on creation so much so that he's demonstrated his care and love for humanity. And then not only that, but he, apart from all the other faith uh, narratives that you hear throughout the world, Christianity says that this God, this creator, came down and became a man so that we could actually be revealed, that he would reveal himself to us. And not only that, but he demonstrated who he was by performing miracles that no one has ever been able to explain throughout time. His eyewitnesses, his friends, gave their lives for believing and teaching that he was who he claimed to be. And then he gave his very life for you and for me, and then rose back from the demonstrating his power and his love and his grace. So if you are one of those people that's on Faith Edge, I would, I would encourage you to look at the evidence. Pick up uh, any book, any number of great resources out there. If you're a skeptic, you're like, yeah, but how could this be true or how could that be so? Go and find it. You know, Jesus said, if you seek the truth, you will be set free. If you know the truth, you'll be set free. And I I would love to see you just be set free and come to know God on a personal level. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Rod Robinson, Adrian Van Vactor. The book is Unmasking the Masquerade, Three Illusionists Investigate Deception, Fear, and the Supernatural. One of the most interesting perspectives on faith and evangelism and bringing the truth to our culture that I've seen in a long time. Unmasking the Masquerade is available on Amazon.com and links to Rod and Adrian's websites are in today's show notes at onfaceedge.com slash nine zero. That's onfaceedge.com slash 90. And if you'll be kind enough to use the Amazon link in today's show notes, it won't cost you a penny more to pick up their book, Unmasking the Masquerade. We're going to get a little bit of a commission, but again, it doesn't cost you a penny more one way or the other. All links from today's show notes, of course, are onfaceedge.com slash 90. That's onfaceedge.com slash nine zero. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Rod Robertson and Adrian Van Vactor and the very talented Rita Watkins for being with us. And thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me and you mean a lot to the show. Remember, God is real. He loves you. And so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. 